Thank you, God, for your goodness. Um, what I love is when something is, is good, um, when something or someone is good, um, you can't help but smile in the midst of goodness. And um, if you are a, a person of few words, uh, I think that's fine, especially when things are going good, uh, just to express what's in your heart through a smile. Uh, I got to go camping earlier this week, and it was a little uh, four-day, three-night. I went with me, myself, and I, and just had some quality time um, hanging out with God and nature, uh, surrounded by Him. And uh, on my last morning there, and I got to thinking about this as Jane was leading us in that song, you know, in the in the morning and in the evening, and just kind of had set times where I pulled out my journal and would read a little bit of scripture and just reflect um, morning and evening. And uh, the last morning I, I, I wrote several times over the past couple of days, all I could do was smile while lying on the hammock, looking up through trees to blue skies during the day and stars at night. My smile, Lord, was my offering of praise. I didn't sing or write a song, but I know my chorus of smiles made it to your ears. And so whatever your week was like, um, whatever this week upcoming is going to be like, one of the ways that we give praise to God is just uh, uh, just through that posture prayer of a smile. We have been in a series, uh, kind of I've titled it On Location, Seeing Jesus in Marin. And I've got uh, my ladder in the background again. And just as a, as a quick review, uh, there's the story in the Old Testament. Uh, a man named Jacob had a literal <clears throat> ladder encounter um, where he encountered God's presence. It was like um, it was a moment where God's presence and activity broke through from heaven to earth in a way that he just had to eventually notice it. He said, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. And obviously he got to a place where he eventually did recognize that, that God had made his presence known right there. And for a parallel for us, uh, there are ladders in Marin. Uh, when you think of Marin, the first thought may not be that Marin is a place where God is present. But I want us to have that, that mindset. I want us to have that set of eyes where we see, um, where we see God. Um, we may think that Marin has a reputation for godlessness, but really it is a place where God is present. You may think of Marin as being spiritual, but not a place where you can talk about an encounter with Jesus the Christ. You may think of Marin as a place where people do good things and where people consume a lot of things, but Marin is full of ladders. Marin is full of touch points where God wants us to notice him as we were singing, to notice his goodness and to notice his presence and his activity. So um, just as, uh, as we kind of roll through the, uh, in the next few minutes, feel free to use the chat feature and, and just maybe there's a place where you encountered God this past week. It could be in a conversation with a family member it could be in a surprise way at your workplace. It could be um, at a campground like I did. Um, where were the ladders of God that you noticed that broke through to earth? 
at the end of uh, last week, uh, I, I mentioned, hey, if you have a, a photo of ladders from this past week, feel free to send me a pic of your ladder, uh, that place where you felt like God was breaking through that touch point, so to speak, where God was making himself known. Uh, a couple of you realized that it's far easier to Photoshop uh, a picture of a ladder than it is to carry a ladder to some of those places. And I commend you for that wise, um, uh, wise use of technology. Uh, Jonathan, I'm gonna have you put a couple of images up. And the first one, um, Mary Beth captured this idea of God reigning over Marin. And I loved uh, this, uh, this picture that she put together. Uh, from Mount Tam. I just can you imagine literally seeing God uh, in that moment as he is looking over Marin and, and looking beyond Marin to the city and saying, I love this place. This is a place where I want my presence to be made known. Um, and I'll let you guess as to whether or not Mary Beth photoshopped that or if she carried that ladder all the way up to the top of Mount Tam. Um, the, uh, the next photo is one, uh, uh, for those of you that know Rebecca, she has been in, in Mississippi this summer. Uh, she's one of our elders. She's um, real active in a faith community, serving in so many ways. Uh, she's a school teacher here in Marin. And so for her summer, she's been uh, back um, home in Mississippi and uh, really loving on her family in a beautiful way. And uh, just the way she has communicated to us uh, in her faith community and with our elder team, the way she is experiencing God in the midst of that. This picture that we see here, I thought was a really good picture of uh, just that um, reminder of maybe this is what it looked like for God as he was making his way um, to earth uh, via that ladder. This is her up in the attic, I think at her dad's house as she had been doing some work there. Um, KP sent this beautiful picture of uh, her touch point with God was at this tree. And what she shared was uh, just a simple reminder to her, what was pictured to her in this tree was that um, it's okay to be weak and strong even at the same time. And KP without knowing it, uh, that's a great picture for the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, just so you know. Um, and then uh, the, the image that I took for this week, this is a picture I took um, at a pool. Uh, specifically, this is the swimming pool over at the Kaplan's house. And uh, this picture, uh, uh, some of you may recognize that pool from baptisms. Uh, we do take the cover off for baptisms, but uh, it's this—it's just this reminder that uh, God is there. I'm going to talk about baptisms kind of at the end, but I want us to today. We're going to look at a at a passage of scripture in John five that um, Jesus met someone at a pool. Now, I doubt that Jesus had white sunscreen smeared on his nose and a towel, beach towel around his neck, uh, but I like to picture the story in that way. Uh, this story that we're going to look at is yet another story of Jesus going to where the people were. It's going to where the people are. And specific, specifically, we see that he goes where people with significant needs are gathered together. 
And that is why we are here. That, that verse that I opened up with in Psalm 72, that's why God draws close to us, not because we got it figured out, but because we each have needs. And here we acknowledge that we cannot meet our own needs. We cannot satisfy our deepest desires. So we turn to the Savior who has come down to us. We sang about that this morning, and we acknowledge that, that it's, it, this is a safe place for us to say to a God who loves us, to a God who sees us, we, we have some needs right now, and we come to you with those needs. So for those of us who strive to climb tall ladders, this is good news. There are many religions that build tall ladders in an attempt to reach God, but this story in John 5 is yet another reminder that God's ladder reaches down to us. And so I want to, I just want to pray and uh, invite God to prepare our hearts to receive his word to us. Father, um, you are the God who came down to this earth. Uh, Jesus, you came to this earth. You walked this earth to set for us an example of, of how we can live. Uh, you came down to this earth to accomplish for us what we couldn't do on our own. Uh, but God, I believe that you are still coming to us. You speak to us. One of the ways that you come to us is through your word. You have given us your word that reveals um, your character, that reveals uh, the big story that you are authoring and our place in it. And so as we read this ancient text, um, I ask that through your Holy Spirit stirring within us, awaken us to, um, to our place in this story and this example in John chapter five of what it is um, to, to come to you uh, in the midst of our weakness and to be told to, to wake up, to rise up and to walk with renewed purpose. So thank you for your word and open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word this morning in Jesus name, amen. John chapter five, I'll put a few of these verses in the chat feature, but I would love for, for you to find a Bible that you can follow along with and maybe maybe even mark in. And as, you are, um, as you're doing that, it gives you an opportunity later in the week uh, to go back and to review this. It says this in uh, verse one, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored covered colonnades. So it's this, it's this picture, uh, the sheep gate is named appropriately, is probably on the north side of this walled city of Jerusalem. Uh, near that sheep gate is a pool that was named Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda means house of outpouring or house of mercy. And this story, as you're going to see, really lives up to the name of that pool. It is an outpouring of mercy. And there, here's the description. This is not just a, a pool like what we think of where it's, this is a lot of fun to go. Um, this is what, uh, this is how the gospel writer John describes this pool. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, a couple of things for context. Why were they laying out at this pool? 
Um, why were they around the edges of this pool? Um, there's uh, some different opinions on this and um, the manuscripts that our scriptures are um, based upon. Some manuscripts go in detail and, and also add in that there were um, times that seemed random, but where the waters would be would be stirred, and it was it was believed that if you made it into the water at that time of those stirrings, that it would bring healing to you. Now that could be something uh, really supernatural. It could be, as some other scholars believe, that it was like a uh, a mineral spring water, and it was just believed, as we would know now, um, that there can be some healing components. Um, to being in uh, those high mineral-based spring waters. Um, you may notice in your Bible, some Bibles will have a verse 4, and some do not. Uh, in the NIV that I'm reading from, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Um, but that fourth verse is based upon some texts um, that, were, uh, that were viewed as as valid, but it includes what I just described uh, with what took place there. So here we have this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know specifically what this man's specific ailment could have been. The word translated invalid simply means weak, frail, or feeble. So it could just be that he was so weak that he couldn't move. Um, it could mean that he was paralyzed, um, but uh, the word was in here, there was a man who was an invalid. This is not just the past tense of is, it's a word that means existence. So I want you to kind of feel the heaviness, the weight of this scene. There was a man whose entire existence could be summed up as weak. Let's continue. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Okay. How many of us think that is the craziest question to ask someone in a situation like that? In verse 6, this is what's recorded for us. Jesus says, he looks at this man and says, do you want to get well? And and the, the obvious answer as to why he asked that question is that Jesus was concerned about a malpractice lawsuit. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. But can you imagine Jesus saying, do you wish to get well? And then he says, before I do this miracle, could you fill out some paperwork for me and sign right here just in case something goes wrong? Um, that's not at all why, uh, why he said do you want to get well? Now, this word well means to be made whole. It implies an all of life wholeness. So Jesus is saying, um, do you want all of your life to be made well? Not just so that I can help you here with what you see as your primary need. Can I help your whole life? Um, when Jesus saves a person, he saves the whole person, heart, soul, mind, and body. Jesus, in another story that we read in the Gospels, was asked to sum up the greatest commandment. And his reply was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God loves you and desires to redeem every aspect 
of you. More on this in just a moment, but let's get back to the question that Jesus posed. Do you want to get well? Why would Jesus ask a question that seems on one hand kind of silly? Maybe it was a rhetorical question. Um, Jesus was basically asking, is this what you want? Like really what you want? Do you want an all of life wholeness and healing? Or would you rather keep your life the way it is? In other words, he was asking this question to see what the level of desire was. The 38-year invalid desired healing. And this is, I believe, a big part of this story. So don't miss this. Jesus was not going to heal him if it was not the man's desire to be healed. Jesus offers salvation to everyone. But we live in a world that not everyone wants Jesus' salvation. So by asking that question, he's helping this man acknowledge that his whole life is about to change. And salvation, as it's referred to in the Bible, includes all of the person. Salvation is not choosing to live however you and I want and then sprinkling a little Jesus on top. Jesus regularly called people to count the cost, to acknowledge that there is an element of risk. He asked the man, he asked the man, do you want to be made whole? And it was a way of saying, do you trust me with your whole life? Not just this one aspect that has you flat on your back, not just this one aspect that has you feeling weak, but will you trust me with everything? Now, let me reach back to the ladder illustration that we're using in these series of, of stories. Remember, the ladder represents those times when heaven breaks through to earth, those thin, transparent touch points between God and humankind. God meets us at the level of our desire. God meets us at the level of our desperation. God has met me, and I know some of you can share a similar story, God has met me when I was flat on my back. If you've ever been in a position where you're flat on your back, literally and figuratively, the only way you can look is up when you're flat on your back. And that's where God wants to meet us. Not that we have to wait till we get flat on our back, but God in his mercy chooses to meet us there. And it's sometimes at that point, we have to get to that point where we acknowledge this really is a desire. This, I desire whatever it takes. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do you really hunger and desire to get into this pool? Do you really hunger and desire for this change in your life? Now, I was thinking as I was kind of picturing what this pool looked like and my experiences at swimming pools as a kid, summertime meant pool time. Um, in St. Louis, where I grew up, uh, about the only way that you could survive the heat and the humidity was to hang out around a swimming pool. And I, I grew up in, in the community, uh, by the community pool at, in Webster Groves, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. My mom would drive me down to the pool, she'd drop me off, I'd hang out with my friends all day and she'd pick me up at the end of the day when I, my skin was all pruney. And it just was a great way to spend the summer. And I'd loved going to the pool and, until there was this moment and it would happen several times in my day at the pool. The lifeguard would blow the whistle to announce 
Adult Swim. I hated Adult Swim. And those lifeguards were sticklers because that not only were the kids, you know, told to, I, I thought, well, maybe I can just sit on the edge of the pool during the adult swim with my feet in the water. No, adult swim meant that I as a kid had to be completely out of the water, excluded. And now that I'm an adult, I think I picture this completely different. Um, I'm just too lazy to swim. Um, if I were to go to a swimming pool now as an adult, and this is a big if, uh, when the lifeguard shouts adult swim, I'd probably take it as my signal to roll over. <laughs> adult swim means I'd have to get up from my comfortable reclining chair. Why would I want to do that? I'm not going to risk losing that spot for an adult swim. Adult swim also means that I have to get used to that chilly water again. So now that I'm an adult, adult swim kind of gets wasted on, on lazy guys like me. But as a kid, as much as I hated the two words adult swim, I loved the words that would follow 10 or 15 minutes later when the lifeguard would say, all swim. And kids would waste no time getting back into the pool for all swim. I mean, it was a mad dash, splashing everybody as a kid jumping in because kids desire pool time more than adults. What is our desire? Are we like the adult swim? Are we more like all swim? And I believe in this story, Jesus is saying, hey, you, you might be an adult, but do you have a desire? I mean, a real desire to jump into this pool. And so he asked that question, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? Verse seven is his reply. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else gets in in front of me. So what is, what is he saying there? Is he kind of given an excuse? Why well, I think this is saying that the invalid had a desire for healing, that Jesus was saying all swim, but he wasn't able to get into the pool. He's like, he has this childlike desire, but he, he needs help. As an invalid, he acknowledged that he himself did not have the means to accomplish his healing. Let me say that again. The man acknowledged that he himself did not have the means to accomplish his own healing. I have no one to help me into the place of healing. Another sign of desire is when we are willing to admit that we need help. It's one thing to say, yeah, I really want this and I'm going to do it myself. But it's a true sign of desire when we say, I want this so much. And I acknowledge I need some help. Are we hungry enough, even desperate enough for God's touch that we will humbly ask for help? Because that's kind of what was taking place here. He wasn't given an excuse. He was kind of hinting around saying, you know, you, uh, it's, it's kind of like he was saying to Jesus, well, if I had someone to help me into the pool, wink, wink, like, if you, sir, would help me into the pool, he's acknowledging and he's even saying to Jesus, if you are willing to help me, then maybe, maybe I can experience this wholeness. 
Because at this point, I, I, it's, it's commonly agreed, he, he doesn't even know that this is Jesus that has posed this question. I believe that indirectly, he was asking Jesus to help him into the pool. So when we look for ladders, those, those touch points, I believe that those touch points are where we find ourselves in a place where we do not possess the means to overcome what has us flat on our back. When we are at a place where we need someone's help. Psalm 72, 12, I'm gonna read it again. God will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. It's, it's coming to that point where we are saying, yes, I desire this. The life that you have for me, God, that's what I want. And I want it bad. And I realize I can't do that for myself. So Jesus recognizing this man's desire, verse 8, he says this, and, and this is, I want us to, as I post this one in the chat, I want us to consider kind of, we're going to break this answer down because I think it has some real practical information and help for us. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. We read at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Verse 8 Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What I want us to see is that these are words not just for healing and for help, but they're also for instruction. He not only heals the man, but he also gives him direction and purpose. And here's what I mean. Three phrases, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I was reading a a book by um, Adele Calhoun. Uh, It's called uh, Invitation or Invitations plural. And she's got a chapter that she talks about this story and it's just some really keen insights. And I'm going to, I'll quote her here in just a moment. But as we look at this, I want us to think practically, what does it look like for you and I, as we have a desire for wholeness in our life? um, If we're going to meet God at this touch point, what does it look like for you and I to get up, to pick up our mat and to walk? First of all, this phrase, get up, take up your mat, this this phrase, uh, just get up, those two words mean to wake up. And this is a picture of waking up to your desire for more in life. It's a great awakening, the awakening of desire. When you have a desire to experience more in life, it's a desire that you should pay attention to. When you have a moment where you feel like there is an emptiness, and that was a that was a word in one of the songs that Jane led us in, that uh, the uh, the empty praise of man. When you when you realize that there is an emptiness, maybe you should be alert to wake up to the fact that maybe God wants me to experience more. Do we want to be healthy? and whole enough that we're willing to get up from our current way of doing life. Jesus is looking to to heal people who have a desire to move on, a desire for more than getting comfortable in their current spot, much more a desire for a new way of living. I believe that you do have a desire for God within you. You were created with a desire for God. I believe that everyone in Marin created in the image of God 
is created with a desire for God. And even if it's a fading ember, we can fan that into flame. The desire for God and the life he offers is waiting for you and I to just give it a chance. Your desire for the many dissatisfying things of this world, it's not that you desire the wrong things too strongly. Rather, we haven't simply fed our desire for God enough. So wake up with me, wake up. Let's take whatever size desire that we have for God and let's give it a chance, a fair all out chance. Adele Calhoun, I'll, uh, I'll copy this quote for you too. Um, she said, transformation and healing begin in a place of desire. There has to be a deep inner willing, willingness to take a risk on Jesus and begin again and again and again. So it begins with a wake-up call. Are you awake? Do you desire more to this life? If your answer is yes, then the second part, pick up your mat. In other words, this is a way of saying, change the way you identify with the world around you. Here is Jesus' invitation. He is saying, I don't want you to lay on or lean on the things that you have grown accustomed to depending on, whatever that mat is. Jesus is saying, and again, this is from Adele's uh, book, stand up on atrophied legs and challenge your limits and competencies. I am asking you to do something that you didn't think you could do. I believe that Jesus is saying to us, you have rested your entire weight on things that have unfortunately put you or kept you flat on your back, that have left you down and out, rise up to a new way of living in the world. Now this, as I read this story, there's a word that stood out to me that whether it's because it, 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 it came across as politically incorrect or kind of harsh, it, it, it's hard for me to read it. And it's the word invalid. I, I would not look at someone and say, and, and, and name them as an invalid, but I want us to, to think about, break this word down just a little bit. Jesus is speaking to someone who was literally named, remember, was his existence was known as an invalid. But invalid really means, if we break that into two words, invalid means not valid. Jesus is affirming the man. He's saying the world around you may know you as not valid, but to me, you are valid. You are a person of great worth. Rise up and begin living like the person that I created you to be, valid and strong. And that's our word for valid comes from a word that means strong. This is the change in your identity. And it, it seems like a no-brainer to consider the element of risk anytime we walk away from what is normal and known and predictable, but it requires risk. To pick up your mat means that you cannot continue with life as you have known it. Jesus is not something that you add to your current way of living. He invites you to a new way of identifying yourself and relating to the world, which means that you 
and I choose to no longer make do with the life that we have. We can't continue with what we know as normal. Up to this point, we may have tried to deny, ignore, excuse, or, or mask the pain that we may experience, but like it or not, um, maybe we've been defined by our illness. We allow ourselves to be defined by what holds us back, by what has knocked us down. So in other words, you, you might not be known as an inv invalid, um, but maybe you are known as Maybe you're known as that guy who has yelled and intimidated people in order to get his way. You've done that so much and that's worked to your advantage. You get your way by doing that. Or maybe, um, maybe you're the person who lives to make everyone happy. And you've been a people pleaser for 38 years. And now that's got you flat on your back. You're exhausted from that life. Or maybe you're the guy with the most toys or you're the lady with the most bling and toys and bling, it's fine unless we're using those things to cope with stress and to numb the pain of some type of an inner emptiness. And it gets to be our normal. We kind of associate our identity with these things. And that's when we realize if we're going to step away from something like that, it's going to be kind of risky. This past week as a staff, we gathered together in a socially distanced circle and we openly discussed our individual, our, just our natural pathways of our personality types. We looked at our, uh, specifically we were using Myers-Briggs uh, personality assessments and we were looking at the strengths of our personality types, but also um, the shadow side, these areas that could trip us up and that we would need to grow in. So we looked at this, but with an eye towards transformation. In other words, we acknowledged the natural strengths, but also the weaknesses of the way we are wired, but in a way that we, we don't wanna use the excuse, well, it's just the way that I am, or it's the way I was brought up, or I just don't know any other way, or it's the way things have to be at this point in my life. The challenge for each of us as we had this discussion was to admit to those potential pitfalls of our personality and then, and then risk stepping outside of those normal patterns. And we didn't use the term pick up our mat, but we did agree that we need to submit to spiritual practices that God can use to transform us. And stepping outside of normal and even comfortable is a risk. It's a risk worth taking. So Jesus looks at me and you and he says, wake up. I want you to rise above normal. Live as the person of invaluable worth that I know you to be, that I gave my life for you to be. You are valid and strong. Walk like it. And that's the third step. You hanging with me on this? I feel like I'm kind of going a little long, but we're, we're wrapping this up. And this is so important. This is an opportunity for us to walk with renewed purpose. The Greek word for walk is peripateo, um, but it's not just a, I'm just kind of getting up and going for a walk. Uh, when I was camping earlier this week, I did. I got up at times and I just went for a walk. We call it a hike because it sounds, you know, more healthy. But really, I was just going for a walk. I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't know how long I was going to be walking. I just felt like going for a walk. This word for walk, though, is like walking with intention. 
And I, you can see sometimes just in the way people walk, they are going somewhere. They, they have a place in mind and they're getting there, usually in a hurry. So Jesus, when he said, get up and walk, he's not simply asking the guy walk and see if your legs actually do work. He's not saying walk and see if you're strong enough to do this. More than legs that enable him to walk, Jesus is saying to him, you have places that you now need to walk to. There is a purpose for you being able to walk. So we read that the man picked up his mat and he walked. Where did he walk to? Well, later in John 5, we read that he walked to the temple. And this temple walk was, I'm sure he went there because now for the first time, he's allowed to enter into the temple. He had been shunned uh, due to his disability. The temple, if it was a pool, was for valid swim. No life, no temple lifeguard was going to say all swim. It was for valid swimmers. And now he met the criteria. But after going to the temple, my question is this, where do you think he walked to? And I've read the story, and this isn't in the scriptures, but I've just kind of pondered, where would this guy walk to? If this, if this man has the ability to walk anywhere, where is he going to walk to? I wonder if the clue is found in what he said after Jesus asked him if he wanted to be made well. Because the man said he didn't have anyone to help him into the pool. What if this man's purpose included walking back to that same pool to help those people he could relate to, people flat on their back? people in need of help getting into the pool? What if his new purpose in life was to carry a ladder back to the places where invalid people gathered? And this is where I want us to change the way we're looking at this story. And I want to challenge each of us, rather than waiting for a ladder moment to appear, what if you and I took a ladder with us? What if that touch point of heaven and earth is where you and I incarnate the love of Jesus, the healing words of Jesus? And we seek out people who desire wholeness. And I mean really yearn for wholeness. We make ourselves to people who admit that they don't have the means to get back up on their own. So what could this look like for us? Let's imagine us incarnating the love of Jesus. You go back to those people that you can relate to. And there are people you can relate to that I can't and vice versa. We, we each have our pool that we come from. You go back and you say to those people that you know what it's like to be flat on your back. You share your story. You tell them that from your weak, flat on your back place in life, you took a risk and you gave God a chance. You tell your story about getting up the many times that Jesus has helped you up again and again and again. And you tell them that when Jesus helped you up, it changed the way you viewed the world and the way you viewed yourself. And you tell them that by God's mercy, you are valid and you are strong and you're walking with purpose. We will grow as a church family only as we take ladders with us. We will grow as a church family when we go to the places where weak people gather. As we go to those places where weak people hang out. What's that place that you can walk 
back to? Who are those people that you can relate to? Your heart breaks for them because you've been there. Now, I want us to think about communion. And this is known as, it's, it's referred to as the Eucharist, which literally means a time to give thanks. Well, what are we giving thanks for? Give thanks for what? We remember to give thanks that Jesus was able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We couldn't help ourselves. Jesus came to help us. We couldn't get ourselves in the pool. We couldn't obtain salvation on our own. Jesus came down to heal us, to save us. And we are grateful that we took the risk and placed our faith in Jesus as Savior. So this is our way of remembering. It brings us back to that point where we remember that it is by God's strength and Jesus' salvation that we are made valid, that we are included. So would you take the bread or whatever you have that represent Jesus' body offered for you? And would you take the cup, his blood shed for your atonement, for my atonement? And may we remember that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray that you will give us an ever-increasing desire for you. Amen.